We are a resource for learners, including every member of the Livestrong Cancer Institute's on-track educational pipeline from middle school to residency. We are a growing collection of interviews, talks, and experiences that uncover the myths and the uncertainties of cancer and careers in cancer in order to empower and inspire generations of thinkers and leaders. This is Cancer Uncovered, an education and empowerment podcast by the Livestrong Cancer Institutes. Welcome back. This is Kristen Wynn bringing you this month's episode of Cancer Uncovered. In today's episode, we take you to a conversation we had with our summer undergraduate research fellows, all of whom were conducting 10 weeks of cancer research alongside UT Austin professors and research scientists just a few months ago. I am super excited to have Dr. Gail Eckhart make her debut on the show as she and Dr. Anna Capasso discuss their dynamic as colleagues. Dr. Eckhart has mentored Dr. Capasso for about eight years. They are two women with very different backgrounds that are able to support one another in their work here at the Livestrong Cancer Institutes. We have talked about the concept of mentorship here on the show before, but in this episode, you will hear questions from our undergraduate fellows to these two experts about the importance of mentorship in their careers, what a strong mentor relationship looks like, and super practical advice about how to think about finding a mentor and your next steps in career and education planning. As we begin this conversation, I definitely forgot to hit record. So you'll hear Gail and Anna mention that they are saying hello again. Sorry, ladies. Here we go. Okay, so hi everyone again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Gail, and so I came here about five and a half years ago to head up the Department of Oncology and to start the Livestrong Cancer Institutes, and so... So I actually have been, I've mentored for a long time, and um, I am one of those people where once you have met me, um, you can forever send me an email at some point and ask a question, like forever mentorship. (laughs) But actually, Anna, I met in 2014, (laughs) and uh, she was in Colorado when I was there, heading up a developmental therapeutics lab. And so we've actually been together for now eight years. Yes. And so back then she started as a really a graduate student. Mm -hmm. And then one of my first choices when I got here was to get her, recruit her into her first faculty position um, here. So very cool. So hi everyone, I'm Anna Capasso. As I told you guys before, I'm one of the gastrointestinal medical oncologists. And I'm basically a clinician scientist, so I'm an MD. I did all my training back in Italy. In Italy, we don't have a PhD, MD, PhD program. It's separate, so I finished my sort of like MDs. I did six years, and I did my fellowship in medical oncology. During that time, I did focus primarily on gastrointestinal cancer and colorectal cancer. And then toward the end of my fellowship, which is five years, I actually shared with my uh, professor back in Italy that I really wanted to do uh, research, uh, more like basic research, and I was interest. I was interested in going into a you know PhD program, and so I did actually apply for that back in Italy. But he allowed me to meet with Dr. Eckhart, and as she mentioned Yay. before, yes, <laughs> I met her actually 
uh, one of the ESMO, that is the European Society of uh, Clinical Oncology, back in Amsterdam. I had a dinner with her, and then she was like, yeah, we you can join. Yes, oh my goodness, that's oh, really awesome. Yes, it was like amazing. <laughs> Uh, food and then like you know while my professor actually was choking almost on his food thanks god Gil actually offered me to join her in her lab in Denver so I moved to Denver in 2014 uh, and I've never left because I found you know what I can define best mentor ever and I can say that also because Dr. Eckert was just awarded with a mentorship award which is a pretty big deal from the American Society of Clinical Oncology just a couple weeks ago mm -hmm. at ASCO um, and basically her mentees, which she has like probably over 50 at this point, we all together applied oh, for that mentorship. Yeah. <laughs> applied all together. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it was great because it was not only the clinicians or the PhDs, but also people that work like in an admin position like Kristen. And she's been mentoring, like, I don't know how she does it, but a lot of people. And so we were able to put in the application and she was awarded this year. So I think, you know, if you guys can yeah. give a round of applause because it's a really big deal. And it speaks a lot of the work that she was mentioning before. I can tell you that being a mentor is very important. And for a mentee, it's really important to have somebody that knows what they're doing and that can really give you like good advices. So like one of, I, I share this with everybody. One of the reasons why I'm here because of course of Gil, because she did a great job with me. And I think she was able to see in me things that I didn't even saw in myself and was able to, you know, like basically train me throughout the years and allow me to grow and give me opportunities that I would have not found, found elsewhere. So I'm very happy to be here today that I can share that with you guys. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm going to jump into these questions. Um, so awesome. You know, we read a lot of things like, Find a mentor. Go find a mentor. How, how do you find a mentor? What, would, what advice would you have? The first part of the answer really is you need to find your passion first, right? So you have to, and you can actually have a mentor help you find that. But more than anything, initially sort of think about what are you passionate about? Because you do want to some, in some respects, match your passion with, with a mentor that sort of is in the similar area. It doesn't have to be exactly in the same area. And so once you've sort of scanned yourself for what you're really interested in, then my view is you have to cast the net widely for mentorship. So don't limit yourself. If you're a woman, it doesn't have to be a woman. If you're a guy, it doesn't have to be a guy, vice versa, all those different things. They don't have to look or be like you necessarily. You know, I, I think what we hope um, in terms of female mentorship is that we diversify the, the pool of mentors because it is, like, I didn't really have a female mentors. But I think the other thing to think about is, is to go talk to people because you have to have sort of that chemistry. If it's someone that is going to be very critical and not promote you, that's not a good mentorship relationship. That may be fine for checking in, and critically analyzing what you're doing, but a mentor does need to be positive. So I think it's fine to like just make appointments with people and check in, and if that chemistry works, then the next thing is that mentor has to be accessible. So it's a flip thing. So you need to find someone that's accessible to you because if you have to set up appointments 10 years in advance and you can't access them, that's not a good mentor. Again, that could be a check-in every once in a while person. 
And then I always say on the mentor side, you have to be accessible to a mentee that you take on. Like, and I don't know about how you went looking for mentors. Yeah, well, so I had, like, my experience before with some mentors back in Italy. And as Gil said, you know, they were more like check-ins rather than really mentors. They were not as available and they were not as friendly, which I understand. It's probably also personality. And so sometimes you have to match and you know, you have to have that empathy, right, that we try to find with, you know, our friends or, you know, like sometimes people don't even like their families, but for whatever reason, they, they don't, there's not that chemistry. So I think that's really important. And so as soon as I met Gail, just the way she presented, she was like so smiley and colorful and she was talking. She really, the thing that I adore about her, other than that we meet, the first thing she asked me, how are you doing? Are you happy? Mm-hmm. Who asks you that? Like mm-hmm. no one, she does. Yeah, so that's one of the, you know, like the things that I was like, oh my goodness, yes, I really want to stick here and stick around. So the other thing that she mentioned, she's available at all times, really. Um, we have, you know, our regular check-ins and um, she's really committed to me, to really mentor me. Um, she puts me ahead of any other thing that like, you know, she has a pretty busy schedule. Uh, and I don't know that, but I never, you know, really know how busy it is. But she finds the time always with me. Or like if I have sort of like you emergency. And I go busy. So like she's there <laughs> always. <laughs> she's always pretty, pretty available, which is really nice. And so like being available, accessible. And also the other thing is like, as I said, you know, really that like sort of like building this relationship is not only about what I do, you know, for my work, but also knowing a little bit more about my personal life, being supportive of me as a person, you know, like I'm a young junior faculty, but I'm a woman and I wanted to become a mom as well. And so I had to, I had, I had, I struggled a little bit to become a mom and she was always there in support of me and, you know, asking how you're doing, but it's like, you know, it doesn't have to always be personal, but it's nice, you know, there's somebody that it's like really like engaging with you and like willing to know that you are happy you know, not only when you're like, you know, for your job, but also in personal life, because those things actually go together, right? So I come to work and I'm happy. I know that I am in a good place. I'm in a healthy place. I know that there's people that care about me as a person. Like, I'm not first of all. And then, of course, you know, making sure that I do my job and I do it well. So that's, I think, it's really, really important. But And what you can accomplish and be successful. So I think, you know, I can certainly say that it's a lot of work. But you know that there's something behind it that it's built to support you and get there. I wanted to go back because another question is always, what's number one also, what is the mentor going to ask you? Okay. And a common thing that I ask, besides sort of you know, personal questions, I mean, I tend to ask personal questions at some point when people want to open up, but I often say in five years, you know, where do you want to be? Now, if people are really young like you guys are, then that's really the question, which is, where do you want to be in five years, you know? Um, If someone's heading into the job market, then I say, what is your dream job? Because the reason it's important to articulate that is that your mentor then backtracks. Like, if you, you say X, Y, or Z, this is where I see myself in five years, it's my job to help navigate you there as best as possible. And so that's a very important question that people will ask, hopefully, because that's really what we're trying to do is to get you where you want to be. And you may not be thinking that far ahead, but just jump a few years ahead because that's really, it's the pathway that the mentor wants to help you go down. Not just are you good now, but where do you want to be? Where are the people that need to like help push you along the path that you want to be in. The tools to be a good mentee is often being organized 
So again, going back to this question, I think sometimes people feel that they ask too much of their mentors if they have a bunch of stuff that they want to go over. But in fact, we love that. Anna does that. One of my very successful other faculty is Chris Liu in Colorado. Um, both of them come with lists and it's organized. This is what I want to know. This is what I've done. You know, this is what I need help with. So just keep in mind that we want to see that. Like it's not it's not um, considered poor form to come in with your own list and your own expectations of what that relationship should look like. Helped me mentor Anna was that she she knew what her passion was. And as an undergrad, you're early on in that. But for sure, you're taking courses that you really like and you have ones that you really don't like. You have some that you have to take just to get where you want to go. <laughs> but during that period, you should be searching yourself for those passions. And one of the reasons that we offer this, the SURF program, is to, at least within one element of that, let people see if that's a passion that they have so that we can help nurture that as they you know, go through school. Yeah, absolutely. I completely Those days agree. were a long time ago. I know, exactly. No, I mean, like, they were a while back for me, too. But I have to be honest, I was pretty, I already knew what I wanted to do, like, already in high school. Um, probably because I shared this with a lot of people. My, my dad is in academia, too. So, like, he's a, um, he actually retired just recently. But, yeah, he was in academia. He was, he actually is a nephrologist, so he does kidney diseases. So really different respect to oncology, but I could see him, you know, being so involved and has a great passion for his job until now, like he's 72, still works. Um, but, you know, like I, I saw him, you know, like when I, when I was a kid, you know, like he was never home. He was always working and uh, he was doing basic research and clinic, clinical research and he's a clinician as well. So I, I was very lucky because I, I saw that, but I had this passion for medicine, really. I had my grandma, you know, she had like her illness and stuff like that. And my dad would train me you know, do an intramuscular injection with her. And she was like, yeah, just go on, do it. I was eight years old. I'm like, who does that? So like, but I was involved. I was interested in medicine. I wanted to know more. And so when I went to high school, I knew that I wanted to go to medical school. And even before getting to medical school there, you know, oncology is a pretty new discipline respect to what, you know, was known before. And and I started learning a little bit more about it. And of course, like everybody, we had like, you know, family, unfortunate experience of people with cancer. And so I got really really more interested in starting to do some research. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. And then I saw a movie of Patchy Adams and, you know, seeing, you know, like differences in terms of patient's care and what you can do and, you know, just bring a smile. And I was like, this is exactly me. That's what I want to be. I want to be able to take care of patients and remind them that, you know, as, as much as tough it, as it is and cancer is terrible, you know, you can still find kindness and, you know, like somebody that can take care of you and remember that you're a person, right? So that's, that was my pathway. And I feel like I've, I've been choosing hopefully the right pathway, but I'm, I'm happy. I, I feel very, like, I feel like it's a privilege for me to take care of cancer patients. And so um, I, I think I've been so, pretty. <laughs> so what I would say, so Anna is a good example of someone that was able to sort of take that passion, you know, at an early time and keep it on. So I'll just say there's other people like me. Okay. So I was a wild child. Um, I went to Stephen F. Austin State University. I was artistic. So I, my major in, you know, in the university was um, art and psychology. Long story short is that I 
it took me a while to find that passion. I went out to California and majored in chemistry at Berkeley. I mean, like, I was all over the place. Okay? <laughs> and um, when I was at Berkeley, then I was in a pre-med class, and I, um, I realized that they were very straight, you know, and narrow people, and I was coming from art and sculpture and all this other stuff. And I realized, hey, you know what? I want to be, I want to represent this kind of person that I am in medicine. So I'm, I'm not going to give up because people just kept telling me, you're never going to get in. You're MCAT. You're terrible. And, um, and I said, no, I'm not going to. Now that I've seen people, I don't want them representing all of medicine. So, so I ended up taking the MCAT, and I, so I took the MCAT out there. And I remember calling one of my chemistry professors at SFA in Nacogdoches, Nacogdoches, Texas, <laughs> and said, um, "You know, I'm going to come back and finish my last year there, and you know, apply for med school." And he was very supportive. But all of my letters came from art people, <laughs> like you know, things. So. You know, again, I think what I did is I just sort of followed, you know, I kept following it. It wasn't linear, but it ended up, you know, I listened to myself and, you know, that's no doubt some of you are going to be that way. Some some of you are going to know exactly. Some are going to think they want to do this thing post-college and these people are going to want to do that and just continue to listen to that inner voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I liked this question a lot. Uh, what differentiates a good mentee from a really great one? Well, we'll have to answer. <laughs> you don't know? You know. Well, she's done it. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> from a mentee standpoint, it's knowing what you want to get out of your mentor and pursuing it. Yeah. Um, that's what I would say. Yeah. I don't know what you've, yeah. you know, you, you've seen your side of it. Yeah, so. well, I, you know, like I see a little bit more like being in early stage of my career. I see like a little bit more like probably like even more junior than I am mentor, mentee. So what I would say is like a very good, yes, being organized, willing to listen, participate, like, you know, come with questions. Yeah. I think that's really important. Truly wanting to also like be engaged with what they're asked to do like projects and stuff like that Mm -hmm. especially in the lab people I I think you like also remembering that you want to take a step at a time you don't have to learn everything right away because it gets really confusing I feel like sometimes people get a like you know not a like not a good example of a good mentee is probably somebody that wants to comes in knows that they know everything and then they boom screw it all up and it's a lot of money that you waste a lot of time of people wait but the fact that you come in and just like willing to learn and willing to mm-hmm. listen and try to sort of like get the best and also having fun. I mean, like we make an experience in research and I would not expect from you guys to have a project that can be published. I mean, it, it takes us like years <laughs> to get like a paper, like some data published. But I think, yeah. you know, and some people come with that attitude and like, I have to get it. It has to be the first thing. I'm like, ah. it's important for you guys. Absolutely. But take the good things. About this. Exactly. Yeah. Like and take the good experience from all of this, you know, that this is a great opportunity you can learn so much. You can meet so many people. You can find a mentor. Let's sort of focus on the experience. Exactly. Yeah. This is so much of doing, you know, eventually doing what you want to do is like these little building blocks of experience, right? Some of it is, you know, very traditional educational experience. Some of it's getting out there and doing this kind of stuff. Some of it's meeting with someone that you randomly saw, you know, somewhere and hearing about it and you know, mm-hmm. reading. There's just so many little elements that will be the building blocks of what you eventually do. It's all fun. Yeah. 
and try to collaborate with your lab and the people in your lab. And it's not only your mentor, the person that leads the lab, but even the PhDs or postdocs that you get to know during those 10 weeks. These people can mentor you like during years or they can share with you their experience. And then you can hear about it and say, oh my goodness, I would really like to do what they are doing. So I think, you know, you can get inspiration from the people that are around you. That's what, yeah. And I think sort of the practical... There is a practical component to where you guys are, right? So, um, you know, I would say, yes, you do need to, for where you are, you need to think of what that next decision is, right? So what are you going to do when you graduate? And, and I don't think you need to get uptight about that as much as you need to go around and meet with various people. Let's say it's cancer research in general. Yeah, you need to get a sense about what a PhD is, what a postdoc is, what a GRE is, that's the exam, you know, the medical field, or maybe you're interested in, some people get interested in medical right. I mean, there's all kinds of things. And so, yes, there is that practical question of what do you need to accomplish right now to get to that next step? And also, like I said, listen to your voice, your inner voice, because mind changed. But if, you know, if you're able to do that, I think that's sort of where meeting people in different walks of life can really help you make that decision, because there are sort of these specific metrics when you get out. So, obviously, there's going to be ups and downs with everything that you do, and whether that's going to be a little bit that you actually like, maybe you don't do So, I guess, what advice would you give to someone who is, like, trying to figure that out in the future or now or in time, and, like, so, yeah, so this was one of the principles that I brought up in terms of mentoring, and that's flexibility. And on the mentor side, understanding that, um, that sometimes people select things where it may not um, play towards their best skills. And so as a mentor, you have to be flexible and help get them into, you know, the area that is really the best match. So what I would say is that is, number one, not uncommon. But two, that's actually where a mentor can help you navigate that. Um, and I understand that at this point, it's, it's always hard, I think, as an undergrad to know, like, is it the big professor that doesn't ever meet with anyone? <laughs> um, I think more often it could be a TA or some, you know, someone else. Um, but you know, I think that that um, that problem is not uncommon. That people are feeling like they they may need to change, or their um, maybe they find that their skills are best applied somewhere else. But I actually think that that is a huge job of a mentor to help with that. Um, that happens all the time. And what I hate to see is when, um, when someone, when a mentor is not flexible, so they keep saying, well, you need to be, like for us it's often, you need to be a laboratory-based investigator that has your own grant and you're an independent PI and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no. <laughs> That's something that you need to look for in a mentor that they will understand that you may have, you know, changes over there. Now, um, in terms of finding that balance, you're going to have 
your mentee-mentor relationships are going to change as you move along in your career. So you may have some forever. You know, that's what you hope for. But you may have some that are going to function mainly as an undergrad, you know, and then you hope they stay on, but they may not. Um, and as long as they're helping you get to the next step, that's okay. As you move on, people become more committed because they sort of understand what you're doing and they're part of it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry so much about the personal, professional stuff because that can be very fluid and that's fine. I mean, I think it's actually good when you are able to have that be fairly fluid. No mentor is going to say, oh, I don't want to step over the boundary or I don't want to hear about that or you shouldn't tell me or I'm not going to tell you anything about me. The best relationship is where it can be quite fluid. But on the other hand, okay, so there are very professorial people out there that may be a good mentor that are very formal. And you need, to, you know, especially as an undergrad, you're going to probably have some of those. And that's definitely a case where I actually think you should go in with a piece of paper that has what you're going to discuss, what your questions are. That is impressive to a lot of people. You sort of, it comes across the desk. It's clear that the mentee has put time into it. Do you guys understand the difference between a mentor and a sponsor? So a mentor is sort of that warm and fuzzy thing that we're talking about that also can help you. I mean, I think that it's great when they're warm and fuzzy. That's just my bias. They may not all be that way. But they're someone that you're it's more of a, a dynamic, ongoing relationship. A sponsor could be a professor at an undergraduate level, would be a professor who isn't really the mentoring type, but they get to know you through your papers that you're writing, things that you're presenting, the grades you get. And then what they do is they suggest you for something. Maybe they want you to take on presenting at a meeting or maybe they want to have you co-write a review article with them. So a sponsor is very important, and as you move up in your career, they're critically important. For me, when you look at where I ended up, it's, it's a combination of having um, largely male sponsors when you're in a male-dominated thing, where the guy it sits down and says, well, would you co-chair this meeting with me? Well, they're not really my mentor, but they sponsor me for things because they're in a position of power to do that, and I've gotten to know them. And it's, it's actually a payback thing where they are asked to do something and they really want to promote someone else, or maybe they don't want to do it all, right? <laughs> they want you to do the work, but they trust you, and so they recommend you. And, and so the whole idea of having a hard line between, you know, personal and professional, I think, is starting to blend even when it comes to formal mentoring programs. The one catch to that is in medicine, it's basically both for men and women. It's mainly for women, but I, my husband has hit the same thing, is that if you are someone that's oriented towards your family and you know, as you move on, there are people that don't want to hear about that. And, and they, um, 
and actually it's just as bad for men that are contributing as partners in their family often can be looked down upon but that to me doesn't really come up until you're way way later and I hope that by the time you guys are there it'll be gone yeah. Yeah. people will be dead yeah <laughs> absolutely I, I want to you know I want to agree they both yeah. died of natural yeah exactly <laughs> and, and that nobody will be dead because yeah Julia <laughs> I was wondering what advice you all have for maintaining that mentor mentee relationship over a long period of time because um, I've definitely had some mentors that I, you know, they moved or I started school and then we kind of lost touch and a couple of years later I'm applying for something and I'm like, oh, this person would have been perfect to like give me advice or you know, recommendation. Yeah, so it's up to you. So most of us the way to do it is to just keep in touch. And, you know, maybe for some of those, it's too late. You know, all of us have had that problem where we get busy and we move on. It's never like if it's been a long time that your mentor isn't going to respond, but it is tougher when, when you haven't checked in. So I really just consider that a check-in. So I have people check in with me all the time. I had someone check in with me like last week that I hadn't heard from and, and you know, probably a year or so because of COVID and stuff. So um, more than anything, just take it on yourself to check in. And if you don't hear from them, check in again. If if they really invested in you and you had that relationship, it doesn't go away, but they just get busy. Um, So that's what I would say. So you want to make sure that when people move, or you move, that you have those emails, because that's critical. So what is it that you've learned from each other as... Well, I have learned from Anna, first of all, she's one of those um, very positive people. (laughs) Um, And and so it's, you know, as a mentor, it's been great to to learn that you can be very positive because you tend to get very cynical as you get older and sort of in your career. And so that has been good for me because it's, it's inspirational and it helps me sort of say, oh, yeah, there's multiple ways you can tackle this. Because I just have sort of a cynical edge to me. I always have. Um, and Anna has that real bubbly, positive. But, I mean, she, I've seen her get a little irritated now and then. But, um, <laughs> but also the organization and it just sort of forgetting how important that can be. So that would be what I Yeah, and I learned that you can be, like, she has a leadership position and you can find the time for everybody, no matter how busy you are. And she is really graceful and, like, very, like, and I saw her, like, in meetings or, you know, things that go on. And, like, it's hard to take care of, like, all these people and manage all these people. And, like, she's always so cool. I don't know how she does it. (laughs) I never felt like she's cynical at all. I don't know where she sees that. I always see her so positive and you know, so willing to help, really, that the, and, like, give people opportunities, you know, sometimes, like, finding, the, um, like, women struggle, with, like, at work, because we don't have a lot of space, and it's like a men world, to be honest, still, and sometimes women are actually harder on other women, mm-hmm. I, I felt that way before it happened, like, she is really supportive of everybody, she always want to mentor everybody, no matter what their background is, yeah. And so I think I learned that. And I think, you know, this is something that I'll keep with me, try to always be, I try to be even more positive than what I am. I want to try to 
build that like nice with I want to make sure that people that work with me are happy to work with me no matter what happens we have problems all the, all the time and there's things that we have to start but I want to make sure that we can work well and, and try to be respectful one of the other right and always you know be there for each other so um, hopefully you guys picked up a few tips here and there but um, as I said we're both available <laughs> forever happy to answer anything at any time awesome Thank you so much. Thank you both for taking the yeah, time to do course. this. Yes, yeah, thank you. Well, and I always appreciate, I think what makes you both so great as mentors too, is that there is this honesty and transparency, right? There's mm-hmm. this authenticity. And so I'm always grateful to you all to have these sort of authentic conversations oh, about yeah. like, oh no, it's hard and it takes work, but it's yeah. possible because yeah. we have each other. Right? Yeah. So. That's <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Anna Capasso and Dr. Gail Eckhart for your time and expertise. If you have questions about today's episode or ideas for a future episode, please give us an email at livestrongcancerinstitutes at delmed.utexas.edu. You can also follow our chair, Dr. Gail Eckhart, on Twitter at S. Gail Eckhart. Eckhart is spelled E-C-K-H-A-R-D-T. If you have more questions about the Livestrong Cancer Institutes, please visit delmed.utexas.edu. This is Kristen Wynn reporting for Cancer Uncovered. Thank you for listening and learning with us.